0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: From EquityMates Mates Media, this is The Dive. I'm your host, Sasha Kelly. The Nobel Prize for Economics has just been awarded. And who are the recipients?
0: Former Federal Reserve Chair Ben Bernanke is among the winners of this year's Nobel Prize in Economics. He was recognized along with two U.S.-based economists.
1: Three American economists whose work the awards committee lauded for showing, quote, why avoiding banking collapses is vital, end quote. I mean, I could have told you that.
0: Thank you, focused on the Great Depression, how dangerous bank runs can be.
1: What's more, this work was published 40 years ago, back in the 1980s. So we wanted to get an understanding of what was happening with the Nobel Prize for Economics this year. Who won, why their work matters, and how has it changed the world today? It's Wednesday, the 19th of October, and today I want to know, why should I care about the Nobel Prize for Economics? To do this, I'm joined by the co host of Comedian vs. Economist and the resident economist here at Equity Mates Media, and undoubtedly the best man for the job. It's Thomas Keeley. Thomas, welcome to the dive.
0: Yeah, good day, Sasha. How are you going?
1: I'm well. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm doing great.
1: The Nobel Prize for Economics has just been awarded. Can you tell us about the prize and how is it different? to the other Nobel Prizes?
0: It's interesting because the Nobel Prize came from Alfred Nobel, who invented dynamite, was a famous chemist at the time, and then in his will he wanted to support the advancement of humanity um, and so set up awards in physics, chemistry, medicine, literature and peace. And that was at the end of the 1800s, so 1901 I think the first award for the Nobel Prize went out. Uh, economics wasn't in that list and it was only in 1969 when Riksbank, the the Swedish central bank, funded an award for economics, um, so it's not technically a Nobel Prize the way the others are. It's sort of in it has a different name. It's uh, the Swedish Riksbank Award for Economics in memory of Alfred Nobel or something like that. But we just call it the Nobel Prize in Economics.
1: I am incredibly honoured, of course, uh, to be. A co-winner of the Riksbank Prize in Economic Sciences in the Memory of Alfred Nobel, to give it the correct full name.
0: And so they 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 sort of snuck that one in there, and then after that, the I think the Nobel Prize Board went, oh, should we probably better draw a line under this," and said, "Okay, from that, that's the last one to get added to the list. From now on, there's no more no more Nobel prizes." So that's where it sort of sits, and that's why it's different from all the others. And it's really interesting in the sense that. It's called the, the War for Economic Sciences, but back in Nobel's time, back in the end of 1800s, economics wasn't seen as a science. It was seen as part of the humanities discipline. And so it probably wouldn't have even occurred to Nobel to have an economics prize. Um, but then sort of through the early part of the 20th century, there was this push to cast economics as a science and sort of bring in some scientific rigor. And there's been a lot of criticism of that because it's been done more or less successfully. And, that, and that's why like you look at this prize and it's sort of it's for work that was done 40 years ago is because economics is it like we try to apply a scientific rigor to our work but a lot of it is it's a social science we're dealing with people and um, we're dealing with things that aren't easily quantifiable so if you you discover a new, Uh, element to add to the periodic table that's sort of established and you can get a Nobel Prize for that the the following year. In economics, it takes a lot longer for for things to play out and for us to understand the significance of particular advances and the practical application of particular ideas. Um, And that's why I think you can get a lag like 40 years, which is what we've seen with this one.
1: I think that's really interesting because from listening to your show, what I've learned is that economics sits in that Venn diagram between human nature and scientific theory or you know, practical theory. The X factor really is how do humans react to some of these ideas?
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right.
1: So this year's winners were three economists. Can you tell me a little bit about who they are?
0: Uh, yes, yeah, so we got three winners this year. We got uh, Ben Bernanke, who was famous for being a chair of the Federal Reserve uh, during the financial crisis. Uh, and then we got two academic economists, Douglas Diamond and Philip Dibbig. It's interesting in the sense that, so Diamond and Dibvig wrote papers together and worked closely together, but Bernanke never worked with them as far as I'm aware. Um, but the the prize committee said that their work reinforced each other's and decided to award them as a, as a cluster, which, which itself is kind of interesting the both the work that they're looking at is the role of financial crises and the way financial crises unfold and then the way we can protect an economy against the financial crisis that's that's the sort of the broad umbrella of of what they've got kind of specifically diamond and divig looked at what they call maturity transformation so so banks tend to borrow short and lend long so they've got deposits which are really liquid the most liquid asset in the economy but then they lend long which has a has a long has a long duration, a long time to get back. And that creates a sort of a a duration mismatch where you can get a run where people want their liquid assets back really quickly, but you can't go and get your illiquid assets because they're lent down the long run.
1: Sorry, can I jump in just to make sure I'm understanding that you're talking about short as in and liquid assets as in your savings accounts and then the long being your mortgages and a, a home loan because that's 30 years.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right yeah I mean that's not the only sort of short long assets in the economy but that's sort of what what we can sort of get a handle on and and your traditional bank run that that's what happens there is that people decide they want their money back from the bank but the bank has lent it out and it's going to take them a long time to get it back they can't pay out those liquid assets and then they collapse Um, and that's your traditional bank run but what what diamond and did dig showed is that that dynamic can play out all across the financial sector and there's that that maturity transformation creates vulnerabilities wherever it shows up. And the UK pension system at the moment was caught, caught short last week because for the exact same thing that, that their assets crashed in the short term, but their, their liabilities were spread over the long run and they got into trouble. So that's, that's sort of the work that they did.
1: So the award committee said that their work showed, quote, why avoiding banking collapses is vital, which is what you were just talking about there. Mm. That seems fairly obvious to me. How did their work actually prove this or show how we can avoid it or didn't it? Is that—is that what we're finding out now? Bernanke was like 28 and then 30 years old when he wrote the papers that I think they're talking about, they are talking about in this, which is he changed our understanding of the Great Depression.
0: I think the, the, that, that central point there comes from Ben Bernanke's paper in 1983. And so he was a great student of the Great Depression. And his contribution to understanding why the Great Depression was so great and took so long, it wasn't just a matter of an, being an aggregate demand shock in a Keynesian sense or a lack of liquidity coming from the Fed. It was because that the financial system itself got hollowed out because you had all these banking collapses. And once you have some sort of banks collapse and that hollowing out of the financial system, that gave you a much deeper, a much more protracted crisis. And that that was his, his contribution. And then that became a real practical had a sort of practical application in the global financial crisis. Is once banks started going to the wall, or had potentially going to the wall, the Fed stepped in in a massive way. They printed heaps of money. They flooded the markets with liquidity. And the real agenda was: we're not going to let the banks collapse. We're not going to we're not going to have a banking crisis because we believe that if we did that, then you end up with a much bigger. You would have had a depression rather than a recession. And that was the central idea.
1: Mm, so. We've mentioned a few times that it's this idea that economics takes a while to kind of filter through and for us to really understanding the impact. But you're talking about banking crises. We've had quite a number obviously you just named the great depression but there's also the one in the 80s and then the global financial crisis why has this work that's been mainly published in the 1980s only now been recognized is it just literally that it took four decades or has there been something happened recently that's made it worthwhile
0: Uh, that's it's a really interesting question i think the timing is really interesting because we are in a situation now where we have just flooded the financial system with cash again. That playbook that got established by Bernanke in the global financial crisis, we went to that playbook again with COVID and we flooded the market with liquidity and we pulled out all stops to make sure that our banks didn't collapse. Right now, that's potentially looking like it was the wrong move because inflation's got off the the chain, Um, we're creating all, all sorts of problems inflation's running wild it 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 looks like we may have may have misplayed that or we may have not understood that in enough nuance it may it may have been the wrong thing to do so it does almost look like the prize committee has come in and go like i just want to just want to reinforce that saving banks in a financial crisis is a really awesome thing to do. I know you're all dealing with double digit inflation, I know you're dealing with rising interest rates, but we just really want to reaffirm that this was a good idea, that this was a good thing to do. That's why like it's it's really interesting the timing and I think yeah, because I think like we are looking at at a phase where maybe that wasn't the the right thing to do and and also the the priorities that come through is in that opening statement that you laid out at the start. It's that, yes, we don't want banks to collapse, but at what cost? And are, are we really gonna put banks as the, at, the, at the center of our priorities and make them our number one priority? And what about the moral hazard that we create if we say that we're not going to ever let banks collapse? Once they get beyond a certain size, we're not going to let them collapse no matter what happens, no matter what they do. That creates moral hazard and creates a whole bunch of problems. And we haven't really sorted that, worked that through. We have some ideas around it, but we haven't got any policy measures to keep that moral hazard in check. So I think that it, the timing in that sense is interesting. Like it, For me, it's like there's an open question about like is this attempt to flood the market with liquidity at all costs to save the banking system, should that really be the number one objective of our central banks? I think there's a question around that right now. So the timing of this award is is kind of interesting to me.
1: Mm, So you're talking there about the size of the bank and the fact that they are talking about supporting them in times of crises, then kind of takes away the idea of consequence from the people running the banks. Is that what you're talking about in terms of moral hazard?
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, one of the the key practical applications of Diamond and Dibvig's work was the idea of a deposit guarantee so that Australia instituted this in the global financial crisis. So all deposits with a a bank up to $250,000 are guaranteed. They're backed by the government. No matter what happens to that bank, um, those deposits are guaranteed by the taxpayer. That stops a run on the bank because people go, oh, okay, I don't need to pull my money out because the government's got my back. But it creates a, it creates an un, unlevel playing field for the big banks who, who have that deposit guarantee. That's a free kick. Like they, there's a certain, they, their risk premium goes down because the government's got their back. That creates a, you know, smaller banks or non, non-bank institutions don't have that free kick. And so they're paying more for their, more interest as a result yeah like is that an ideal outcome i'm not sure but that that's what we've done with this work and that's sort of why we're, it's, it's a social science like it was the, some, like the way that they've mapped out that how these bank runs work and the maturity transformation super useful really interesting stuff how we apply it how we how we make that play out in our economy there's still a lot of questions around it
1: let's take a quick break here and i'll be back shortly with more from thomas from comedian versus economist That was basically my reaction. Oh,
0: not bad. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> a university of Chicago professor gets awarded the Nobel Prize in economics, and that was his reaction.
1: Welcome back to The Dive. I'm Sasha Kelly, your host, and today we're talking about the Nobel Prize for economics. Let's get back into my conversation with Thomas from Comedian Versus Economist. So because you're talking about the fact that we're in a time of turmoil currently, do you think that this decision will make bank runs and banking failures less likely in the future or will it take us another four decades to kind of understand the impacts? We might be looking at another Nobel Prize for economics in four decades that completely transforms economic theory.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, it's really useful. Like it's a good, it's a good, what I think the, the three winners have given us is some good stories to understand how things play out right here and right now in the current settings. But those settings are not this is where it differs from the physical sciences. We're not talking about gravity. We're not talking about a set of institutions that has been given to us by God that says that atoms should interact this way with other atoms and these sort of things. All those policy settings are, are just institutions that we have created and are up for change. And so as those institutions change, then we start we need to re- revisit those stories. And so it's quite possible that we in forty years we have a policy framework that Makes all of this work redundant; it just doesn't apply anymore. But for the moment, I think it does give us a good a good handle on what's happening, and and does point to the way forward about where yeah where we need to do more work. And I think like the moral hazard and that sort of thing that's definitely more work to be done there.
1: I guess my last question, out of curiosity, is: Is there a significance to the Nobel Prize for Economics within the economic community? You know, does it give you huge clout? Will this really make your career. We did talk about the prize money earlier, that it's significant, but I'm just curious about where it sits in terms of other economists, um, knowledge and, and the fame within that circle.
0: Uh, Yeah. I, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, no, it's massive. It's massive. Like, and it's where, it's where you sort of cut across, you can launch you out of being famous in the economics discipline to just being generally famous um yeah so yeah no it, it is massive but it, it, it does come at, it tends to be awarded at end of career like you look at diamond 68 Divig 67 i think benanke about the same mark it sort of comes at your end end of the career you're already famous you're already a, a tenured professor wherever you are um so it's not going to have a massive change on on your career trajectory i don't think but yeah de- definitely makes your mark and no, th- that would be chuffed they'd be stoked to be getting this award for sure
1: and solidifying work that they've done 40 years ago so you know in the middle of if you're in your 60s you know in your mid-20s so that's pretty mm. pretty incredible there for sure well thomas let's leave it there for today i think you've got me up to speed though with the nobel prize for economics i really appreciate it I've got to give you a shout out you also released an episode for cbe this week Postman fest a special guest in the studio my colleague alec renahan And I've just finished listening to it, lots of laughs. It was a really great episode. So also I've got to give you a plug and say go have a listen to CVE as well. Thanks, Sasha. All right. Talk to you soon. If you enjoyed this episode today, then please tell a friend about it. It is the best way for our podcast to grow. If you've just joined us for the first time, welcome. Go check out our back catalogue. We've got heaps there that I'm really proud of. If you're a Be Real fan, then check out Monday's episode. We talked all about the business of the newest social media app that's taking the world by storm. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram. We're at thedive.businessnews. You can contact us by email, thedive at equitymates.com, and you can subscribe wherever you're listening right now so you never miss an episode. A huge thank you to everyone I met at BinFest. I hope you had an amazing day. I certainly did, and it was such a joy to just get to know so many of you who are listening to the podcast. Cast. Thanks so much for joining me today. Until next time. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs, or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equity Media operates under an Australian Financial Services License 540697. Planning for your next trip?